Morning, everybody. Happy New Year. It's good to see you. Uh, 2023 looks pretty good on you guys. I'm glad you made it this morning. We're starting a brand new teaching series, as you saw in the video, Fear Not Raising Courageous Kids. So if this is one of your very first times at Faith Community Church, you picked a great time to, to jump in and join us. This series is for parents, grandparents, foster parents, aunts and uncles, teachers, Anyone who knows and loves kids and has uh, uh, a responsibility or a weight of burden to see them uh, grow up. And it's also for this church. If you're a part of Faith Community Church, this series is for you. We dedicated 24 new kids in 2022, and that is an awesome responsibility uh, and an awesome uh, privilege. So we're going to begin this week with uh, a sermon called Raising Kids Who Hope in God. I've shared this in other contexts. I can't always remember what I've shared here on Sunday morning where I've shared somewhere else. But in our house, we've used for many years a resource called the New City Catechism. How many have heard of New City Catechism? Anybody? Yeah, not many in the first service either. Okay, you need to uh, check this out. The New City Catechism is a series of questions and answers that we've used for teaching our boys the essentials of Christian faith. And the first question uh, goes like this. What is our only hope in life and death? The answer is that we are not our own, but belong in body and soul, both in life and death, to God and to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. That particular question and answer have become so important in the life of our family that an extended version of it hangs on our living room wall and it's engraved on our son's headstone. I used to, or I still, uh, will ask the boys on the way to school, what is our only hope in life and death? I'll say, is our only hope today that we're going to have friends? Is our only hope today that we're going to be well liked? Is our only hope today that you're going to do well in your exams or whatever you have coming up? What is our only hope? Yes, dad, yes, dad. We belong to God. Well, I've decided not uh, to begin this series with a long list of statistics about how kids are doing. I don't know how helpful that would be. I do think in general, people know, unless you live under a rock, that at the moment, kids are not doing awesome. They're not doing great. Last year, the Surgeon General of the United States issued an advisory uh, calling it a national emergency. Uh, children's mental health is a national emergency. If you want, that report is easy to find. It's full of statistics. But this is basically what everyone agrees on. American kids aren't doing well, and they're not doing well in a uniquely bad way. Uh, it's not like, like this is the first generation of people to ever face really hard things, but the, the pandemic and social media and a number of other factors have just exacerbated the problem so that it, people are calling it a pandemic of hopelessness and meaninglessness and confusion. Uh, if you were to go online and just do a simple Google search to read about what kids are uh, posting on social media and some of the issues that they're dealing with, it, it is deeply depressing. They are confused, they're afraid, they feel lost. They're, they're afraid of an, an apocalyptic future that no one seems to be able to fix. They're deeply cynical of people that, in positions of authority that they used to trust, and they're confused about who they are and what's real and what's not real. Even if there wasn't a national state of emergency, just if you watch the local news in December, there were at least a couple of stories 
about how the, the resources of the state are just completely overwhelmed trying to take care of kids in crisis. They're just locking them up now. There just aren't enough beds to go around for kids who need them. <clears throat> so the articles and studies that I've read in preparing for this series always talk about social media. Most of them talk about the pandemic as, uh, you know, an, I, I guess an exacerbating factor. But none of this is, is brand new. You can find articles 20 years old talking about, hey, what's going on with this surge of hopelessness and meaninglessness? And that was among millennials. Today for Gen Z, they're calling it uh, pandemic. And in the midst of that, the church has this amazing opportunity to say that there is a sure and certain hope. There is more than you can see going on. And despair is not only not a foregone conclusion, but a life of redemption and purpose and meaning is available. We get to say to kids, your life has eternal and cosmic significance. And we don't just say that because we think it's good for your mental health. We say it because it's objectively true. Uh, Jesus has been raised. It's just an, objection, it's an objective, rational truth. And you belong to God in body and soul and in life and death. So today we're going to talk about raising kids who hope in God. And to do that, we're going to look at just part of Psalm, 7, or Psalm yeah, 78. I almost said 87. Psalm 78. If you want to follow along in your Bible this morning, we're going to be on page 488 today. And if you're brand new to the Bible this morning, the Psalms are the uh, song book of ancient Israel. So if you pick it up, you'll see the words are all kind of offset. That's because these are songs. And if you uh, look at this one, you'll see there's a little heading on it that says, Of Asaph. Asaph was the premier songwriter during the reign of King David. So this song is about 3,000 years old that we're looking at this morning. So has everybody got it? Some of you got it? All right, we're, gonna just, we're just going to read the first eight verses. This is the second longest psalm in the Bible, so we're not going to take 15 minutes to read the whole thing, but just the first eight verses this morning, and then we'll do some reflecting together. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise to tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God but keep his commandments, and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So he begins by saying, I'm going to tell you some parables. I'm going to utter dark sayings of old. Some of your translations will say, I'm going to tell you some riddles of old. Parables and dark sayings 
our truth wrapped in sometimes ambiguous language and stories. They're not immediately obvious to everyone, but they require reflection. They require a little bit, bit of time. And most of all, parables and dark sayings require some humility. Pride assumes that this is the generation that has finally gotten everything figured out. Like nobody's going to look back on these 15 years and say, what the heck were they thinking? No, no, no. We've got it figured out. Well, parables and riddles or parables and dark sayings come along and say, actually not everything new and novel is true just because it's new. There are some things that we know to be true because they've been time-tested by a lot of people in a lot of different circumstances, and they may not be immediately obvious to modern people. There may be some things that you need to consider and reflect on if you want a good life. And in this case, the, the parables and riddles that he's going to share are stories from Israel's history. So if we were to keep reading this morning through the second longest psalm, there's a long section that uh, talks about the Exodus generation. And all the wonders and signs that God did in Egypt and in the wilderness. And then there's another long section about the generation of the judges. Deborah and Barak and Samson and Gideon. All of the things that God did in those generations. And how in each of those generations, the people responded with faithlessness. And so there's also these, these two themes of uh, destruction and rescue. Destruction and rescue, because the purposes of God are not going to be thwarted by people, not ultimately. So, there's, so there's, there's going to be rescue, but in those generations, not everyone lived to see it. A good chunk of those generations was destroyed. So the invitation of this psalm is to say, listen, consider this pattern of the mighty acts and wonders of God and Israel's faithlessness and their destruction and their rescue, what do you think is going on here? Because this psalm, Asaph was writing at a time when Israel's golden age was just about to begin. They're about to enter you know, a, a time in their history of greatest peace and greatest prosperity, kind of a fresh start, just like the Exodus was a fresh start, just like the season of the Judges was a fresh start. I think the, the, the psalm is saying, look, we get a fresh start here. What are you going to do this time? What are you going to do with God? <clears throat> in all of my reading, in all my study, you know, preparing for this series, there are a handful of things that everyone seems to agree on. Number one, things are not going well. Uh, kids are not generally are not thriving. But there's fear, confusion, and angst. Second, social, like I said, social media is always mentioned and the pandemic is usually mentioned. But third, everyone agrees that whatever the problem is, it definitely does not have anything to do with God. I couldn't find anyone anywhere saying, boy, this is really bad. Let's go back to the dark sayings of old. Let's go back and see what our fathers taught us. I'm not even talking about doing Christian theology. I'm just, I'm just saying nowhere could I find anyone saying, let's go back to the past to discover wisdom for the present. 
What if children really do have souls? Like an immaterial but objective part of their being that has to be conformed to spiritual reality the same way that their bodies have to be conformed to the law of gravity and the need for food. Uh, everyone is doubling down. I mean, in all the reading that I did, everyone is doubling down trying to find a secular answer to children's spiritual problems. And it's getting to this place where the, the whole edifice is beginning to crumble. I mean, if you just watch the news in the month of December and the reports that were coming out about the strain and the weight being placed on the state's systems, the whole thing is failing. And so in verse 4, the, the psalmist says, We will not hide from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. <clears throat> One scholar uh, says this. He says, why does religion still grow amid so much secular opposition? Well, some might respond, because most people are idiots. But a more thoughtful, less misanthropic answer might be that many people find secular reasoning to have things missing that are necessary to live life well. Another is that a great number of people intuitively sense a transcendent reality beyond the natural world. And this is especially true among kids. Uh, Mark, sociologist Mark Lilla says this, to most human beings, curiosity about the supernatural comes naturally. It's indifference that has to be learned, he says. So there's something profoundly lacking in the secular account of reality, and kids feel that. Uh, there's a sense of transcendence that persists in human beings despite our best efforts to suppress it. And kids feel that. Moreover, there's, there's just too much of God in the world to ignore. He keeps breaking in uh, to our world through beauty and goodness, through the the obvious presence of justice and injustice in the world. And what no one ever seems to account for is God himself. That there's a, a living God that is actively pursuing your children who wants them to know him and keeps revealing himself to them. In one of his letters to Timothy, the apostle Paul tells young Timothy to preach the word. And then he says, you should be ready to do this in season and out of season. In other words, he's saying there are going to be times when you preach the word and you work, 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 and you don't really see a lot. That's okay. Keep working anyway. But there are going to be other times, he calls it in season, when you're going to preach the word and you're going to work and work and you're going to see Amazing things happen. I am not uh, a prophet. Okay, everybody got that? I'm not a prophet. This is not a word from the Lord. I'm not claiming supernatural knowledge, and I've not discussed this with the elders. So you are free to completely dismiss everything I'm about to tell you, okay? This is just my opinion. It's just my sense of things as I raise my own children, as I get to meet their friends, as my, my wife is spending time in, in public, she works at the public school, 
Uh, and just as I have done the reading and research for this series and things, it is just my sense that right now is one of those seasons where for churches who will not hide the wonderful deeds of God, they'll see a harvest. Because uh, kids are not going to hear about it anywhere else. Nothing is being put in front of them large enough for their souls. They're being invited to make themselves the center of reality. It is not work. And even a seven-year-old and a 16-year-old can sense, I don't think this is what I'm made for. I can remember being seven years, this is a true story. I can remember being seven years old and uh, being in, now we would call it self-esteem training. Do you know what I'm talking about? It was called Quest. I still remember the name of it. I can still picture the little, no, it was called Quest. And we were being told about how amazing we were. <laughs> and I remember being seven and saying, this is a load of garbage. <laughs> <You know? laughs> this is baloney. I'm not, maybe I'm just a middle child, but I'm, I'm not that a big a deal. I'm not that special. So the, the, weight, the weight of what's being put on kids is far too much for them to bear, and they know it. And I just sense that for the church that says, we will not hide the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might, they will see a response. So there's an Old Testament Hebrew scholar named Jamie Grant who says, in verse four, there's a note of determination in these verbs. We will not hide them from their children. We will tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord. We have a, a unique and unprecedented opportunity to say to kids, we love you, and the rumors of God's death are greatly exaggerated. The fact is that he is very much alive and well, and he is at this moment marching on the nations. He is gathering boys and girls from all around the world to himself right now, and Christian hope is rooted in history, it is rational, it is reasonable, and it is unimaginably good. It is unimaginably wonderful. So, we will not hide, verse 4 says, but will tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders he has done. He goes on to say, he, he describes how this is going to happen. He says in verse 5, God has established a testimony in Jacob He's written it down for us and appointed a law in Israel which he commanded our fathers to teach their children and the next, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn and arise to tell their children. So if you follow, he's, he's talking about your great-grandchildren is who you're raising right now if you have children. This is a direct reference to Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is one of the most famous scriptures in all of Israel, it's called the Shema. Even, even today, Orthodox Jews will wake up and recite the Shema, and they'll say it before they go to bed. This is the Shema from Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. 
and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So how do we raise kids who hope in God? To the law and the testimony, as Isaiah would say. We go to his word. And when do we do this? When we sit at home and when we walk by the way and when we lie down and when we rise. We're going to wear the word of God on our wrists and between our eyes and we're going to put it on the doorposts of our home and on our walls. You get the idea? The the invitation here to to, uh, church communities and to parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles is to say, just be faithful to continue sharing the mighty works of God with your children and let God do the rest. Israel was to build a culture in its homes and in its communities where God was central to everything. I do this thing with my boys. We've been doing it for years. They love it. Where I just... Hold out my hand, say, okay, this is the universe, boys, right here. And what's at the center right now? Usually this is in the context of a conflict or discipline or somebody's hit somebody, right? Who's at the center of the universe right now? You are, right? And that is why we're having a problem. Because you're at the center of the universe and you want everybody to get in orbit around King You. And this is my universe over here. And it's not working. So Israel's to build a culture where God is at the center of the universe all the time. And the way that they do that is to, to speak of God, to talk, to talk about his word, to talk about what he's done, to talk about what he is like, and to do it in every part of their life and throughout their day. I don't know if you would remember this but the last sermon before Christmas here in 2022, as we wrapped up you know, 16 weeks in the life of Joseph, we said, as far as the Bible is concerned, the most amazing thing Joseph ever did was what? Do you remember? To live in Egypt for 93 years, and yet Egypt never lived in him. And I said, I can imagine him. Coming home from work day after day, after spending all day working with the most powerful people in the world and gathering his family together and saying to each other, this is not it, guys. Just so we're all on the same page, this is not it. This is not what we're here for. Our security does not depend on Egypt. Our, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Our provision does not depend on dad's job. We belong to God. And we are not home yet. And God has made certain promises to us and we are trusting him. That's an example of the kind of life Israel was to build and what we're to do as the church as well. So here are just some examples of things that we've done at our, I'm just sharing these as examples, okay? The problem with this first sermon is that there is so much nuance in parenting. Isn't that true? There is so much nuance in being a good aunt and uncle. There's a lot of nuance in being grandparents and where are the lines that you get to cross and that you don't get to cross. And your kids are not my kids. Okay? So I just share these as a few examples of what this has looked like 
in our home. We began with the boys, I call it Darcy's homemade catechism, when we would tuck the boys into bed at night, before they could even speak, she would ask them, what do you know about God? And she would teach them these one-word answers. God is big, God is good, God loves me. Those are some of the first words our boys ever learned. And then she would add, God is holy, God is king, God is creator. And then we would ask, what does it mean? What do you think it means that God is holy? And we would talk about it. We used the Jesus Storybook Bible by Sally Lloyd-Jones when the boys were first, you know, read, doing read-aloud books with us. It's one of the best introductions to the story of the Bible out there. I've given this Jesus Storybook Bible to grown-ups to say, you really need to read this and get familiar with how the whole story of the Bible works. Okay, I've had friends who went to Bible college read the Jesus Storybook Bible with their kids and say, this is the best introduction to the Bible I've ever had in my hands, and I'm reading it to my three-year-old. And then it was the Action Bible. When the boys got old enough to read on their own, the Action Bible is this it's about this thick. It's, it was created by a guy who used to work for Marvel Comics and DC Comics. It has all the most important stories of the Bible in there. So the boys have learned the, the wonders of God inside and out. They talk about stories in the Old Testament that Darcy and I are like, oh, is that, is that in the Old Testament? Is it, where, where is that? We haven't thought about that in years. At the dinner table, we get the Bible out and we take turns reading. Sometimes a psalm. You know, we've taken time, some, you know, we read through part of Luke recently in the last, just, just, just a few chapters. Sometimes we go through the catechism that I mentioned at the dinner table. This New City Catechism has 52 questions. We've been at it for four years. I think we've done maybe 20, okay? So it's not about quantity, it's about quality. And it's led to great discussion. There's lots of great questions to ask. And as we go to school, we get to talk about all, you know, we just quiz on the catechism. When they were in elementary school, I tried to be home three or four mornings a week to do what we called Bible time. Just 15 minutes together where we read the scripture together, talk about questions. It was during Bible time that my son Ben asked me, what does it mean to be born again? I usually walk or drive them to school. We talk about the catechism. We talk about the scriptures on the way. This year we chose to enroll our 8th grader in, a, in an online private Christian school so he could be more grounded theologically and academically. At night we just huddle up, usually, four nights a week. We just huddle up, put our arms around each other. We just pray. I just want them to hear me praying for them. Right now, media is a, is a tool available to all of you if you're not already on it. It is just loaded with amazing resources for kids. There's one called What's in the Bible with Buck Denver that my kids loved. It is an amazing introduction to where the Bible comes from and how it all fits together. And some nights, you know, we're just too tired to do anything, but we'll just watch a Bible project video together. Or maybe there's a question that they're asking. There are these amazing, like, four or five minute apologetic videos uh, that you can find on YouTube. And that's what we do for our family worship time. All of this stuff, by the way, is stuff that we just learned from you. All of these things are stuff we've picked up from people here at church. So the catechism that Darcy created out of thin air, she learned that from a friend. 
The reason we bought the Action Bible is we saw Tim Porter's kids reading it. And we want our kids to be like Porter's kids. So, okay, we'll just do that. We learned about the New City Catechism from one of you. So the, one of the best gifts that we can give each other is each other. This is why we require that members of Faith Community Church be involved in either a missional community or a small group or serve in an on-campus ministry because we want you to know each other and each other's kids. Darcy and I were at a little New Year's soiree last night with uh, four or five other families. They're all just eight to 15 years ahead of us in life. And some of their uh, 19-year-old boys and 20-year-old boys and 24-year-old boys got stuck with us for some, I don't, there's a variety of reasons. And then their girlfriends wound up stuck with us. I left last night just saying to Darcy, that's what I want our boys to look like when they're 20 years old. Just the way they date those girls, the way they talk to them, the way they think about their lives. They're applying for jobs on the other side of the country. They're doing brave and courageous things and they love the Lord. You need some people in your life Who's, who you can go to and say, how did that happen? What's going on there? What did you pray for? What do you talk about? How did you make decisions about their education? And so on and so forth. There's a lot of nuance in the stages of life too. I have a, uh, my student, my eighth grader, is going to be in high school next year. He will be leaving the house when I'm still in my pajamas. And he may be getting home after I'm too tired to think straight. Some of you are in that stage right now, and you're thinking, oh, I cannot do Bible time in the morning. I can't do this, this, and this. My kid is gone 14 hours a day. I just say, listen, then it's, then it's just, just make it your goal every day before they get out the door to just get your hands on them and to say, hon, dad loves you, and I'm praying for you today, and I want you to know that I, I care about you, and I'm going to be praying for you throughout the day, what is our only hope in life and death, honey? Let me pray for you right now before you. If that's all you get, that's all you get. But the goal is just to lift up and magnify the, the awesome works of God in your home so that he is at the center and so children hope in God. I'll just wrap up with this. On the night that our son Benjamin died, as we were waiting outside for the rescue workers to retrieve his body, and I don't remember if we already knew he was dead or if we were waiting for the news, it wasn't me, it wasn't my wife, it was our eighth grader who pulled my fourth grader aside and said, what is our only hope in life and death? that we're not our own, but belong to God. I understand that there is a tremendous amount of fear around children, but the fact remains that they are capable of incredible faith. They are capable of doing incredible things in the kingdom of God. And the church and the people who will embrace them in faith 
will own the future. So let's pray as we head into our last song together. I'll invite you to just close your eyes and bow your head. Whether you're a parent or a grandparent or an aunt or an uncle or you just worship here, I want you to take a minute right now to just ask God for grace to love the kids in your life well. And would you pray for them by name right now, just right where you are. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this new year. This is your new year. You have created it for us, and we will receive it with thanksgiving. Thank you that you know everything that this year will hold, both good and bad, and that you are still king. We pray together today that you would do an awesome work in our kids in 2023. Father, would you give them the gift of faith? And I ask God that you would give parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles and members of this church opportunity and wisdom and boldness and the grace to declare your wonders to the next generation so that they would hope in God. Father, would you bless the ministries of this church that are aimed at children? Would you strengthen their volunteers and leaders? God, would you do more than we could ask or expect? Use the children in this church in a mighty way. We ask in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. Let's stand and sing.